This is a Federal News Network podcast. Under federal civil forfeiture laws, law enforcement agencies are allowed to seize money and property they come across in the course of their investigations, even if they never file criminal charges. It turns out forfeiture is a fairly big business for Homeland Security Department. Records the Institute for Justice obtained as part of a lawsuit show DHS agencies seized more than $2 billion in currency at American airports between 2000 and 2016. And in the overwhelming number of cases, the owners of that cash were never accused of committing a crime. For more on these findings, Federal News Network's Jared Serbu spoke with a research associate at the Institute, Jennifer McDonald. Civil forfeiture is a legal tool that allows law enforcement to seize and then permanently keep property from people without ever charging them of a crime, uh, let alone convicting them of one. So in this context, we looked at uh, currency seizures that happened at airports, specifically conducted by Department of Homeland Security agencies, primarily Customs and Border Protection and ICE. In these cases, we often see simple paperwork violations uh, is the main reason that this property is seized. Um, 50% of the seizures that we looked at uh, were seized for no reason other than failing to file some paperwork for traveling internationally with more than $10,000. But, you know, often the justification is that that currency is involved in international money laundering or drug trafficking or something like that. But under civil forfeiture, the government doesn't need to prove that in order to take somebody's money. And overwhelmingly, I think you found that there was no evidence or or, or no clear nexus between the seizures and any kind of criminal activity. Right. Um, In 50% of the cases that we looked at, they were seized only for reporting violations. Um, In only 0.3% of cases was another offense alleged alongside that reporting violation. So we're not looking at uh, people that the law enforcement think really are drug traffickers or money launderers. If that was the case, you would expect someone to at least be arrested of such a serious crime. But only less than one-third of all airport currency seizures that we looked at involved somebody even getting arrested. And that number drops to one in 10 when the alleged violation is uh, failing to file the right paperwork. And, and one of the gotchas on those paperwork violations is it, it turns out you can have your money seized if you're carrying more than $10,000 traveling internationally when you're headed out of the United States. I mean, everybody knows you can't bring large amounts of currency without declaring it when you're on your way in. But I didn't know you, you have to declare it on the way out. Exactly. And most people don't know that. I didn't know it before IJ started working on these cases. You know, when we enter the country, we have to clear customs. There's paperwork. There's, you know, it's very obvious that you have to, you know, submit to that requirement. But when was the last time that you traveled and saw a sign telling you that you needed to report that large amount of money when you were leaving the country? You know, customs does little to publicize it. Often the paperwork has to be found online ahead of travel and then taken to a customs office that's, you know, miles away from the airport. Uh, And so people just, they're just not aware. And and that is definitely the case of, you know, the clients that we represent. They would have been happy to file that paperwork if they were aware of the requirement. But 
you know, customs needs to tell people that that's something they need to do, um, but they don't, and it turns into kind of a gotcha moment. I, I think one of the things that jumps out from the data sets that you eventually obtained after suing DHS is kind of weird disparities between airports, that the highest dollar value seizures are not necessarily all at, you know, big international hubs. The one that jumped out at me is Orange County Airport in Southern California, which is a tiny airport, but it's consistently in the top five in terms of total dollar value. So what what does that suggest to you? It's difficult. I think it probably suggests, you know, several things. But, you know, I think most likely officials at that airport or perhaps, you know, Southern California customs officials just have a specific focus on seizing cash. You know, often we see that TSA sees cash in people's luggage when they go through security, and then they alert federal law enforcement who have the authority to question the traveler about the cash. Um, So it could be that TSA at that airport is instructed to report all incidences of cash. You know, we really don't know, but we think it suggests that there's definitely, you know, an incentive and a focus on seizing people's stuff. I am really curious about the incentive structure here because, you know, sometimes when we think about civil forfeiture, we think about the incentive being for like a local sheriff's department who's allowed to keep the money they seize and and use for their own operations or a local DA. How does it actually work in the CBP DHS context? Does that go into the agency's own operations or does it just get funneled into general treasury revenue? More broadly, how do we think the incentives work? Uh, So specifically, the proceeds from these forfeitures go into the Treasury Forfeiture Fund, and then those funds are doled out to various DHS agencies and the IRS um, to use for law enforcement purposes. We have also seen that some federal agencies, you know, including non-DHS agencies like the DEA or the FBI, pay TSA agents to be confidential informants, um, so to alert them when they see cash. And then they give a kickback of whatever they forfeit to those specific agents um, for for being a confidential informant. So there, there is a very direct profit incentive. Um, But, you know, civil forfeiture more broadly, it it creates the incentive to pursue cash over contraband. So if someone is traveling with drugs, you would expect law enforcement to seize that. because it's clearly contraband and it's clearly illegal, but because cash can be so quickly converted into something that the agencies can then use, you know, it's, it's frequently what they're targeting. CBP puts out regular reports where they brag about the cash seizures that they conduct at airports. Um, you know, there's a newsletter and it talks about the seizures of more than $25,000 that they caught. And I think, you know, the, the problem there is that it's the general assumption that a large amount of cash is evidence of criminal activity, you know, regardless of whether there's actually any evidence of criminal activity. And then when you allow agencies to profit from also engaging in that behavior, you're just asking for trouble. As you said, overwhelmingly, these are civil forfeitures and not criminal forfeitures. And in that civil context, it's on you to sue the government to get your money back if it was wrongly taken or if you think it was wrongly taken. And I want to explore that a little bit with, with kind of my cop brain on just to play devil's advocate and i and i think with that brain on a lot of, a lot of people would say look traveling with a suitcase full of cash is inherently suspicious and and maybe you know we think we're cutting off criminal networks by by seizing cash when we think we've really got a bad guy here but we don't necessarily want to put prosecutorial resources into 
pursuing a criminal case. And and you could look at some of the data that you have in this report, such as the fact that only 7% of civil forfeitures end up with people going to court to challenge the action. You could look at that 7% and say, look, that shows overwhelmingly we really are getting bad guys because otherwise more people would be challenging these actions. And I, I, I'm wondering what you, would, what you would say to that kind of perspective. You know, that that is the argument that, you know, federal officials make quite often in favor of civil forfeiture. But it's just not true. There are a lot of reasons, a lot of innocent reasons that people travel with cash. Um, You know, for example, we've had clients who saved up a bunch of money to go to Africa to build a free medical clinic for women and children. She's not going to travel to Nigeria with, you know, a money order. She needs cash to be able to do business there, you know, and that's completely legal and a reasonable thing to do. But the reason that so many of these forfeitures end up being resolved administratively is because the process is so difficult to navigate. So when cash is seized, the assumption is that the federal government can forfeit it administratively, which means there's no judicial involvement in deciding whether it's just to keep this money. So, you know, that's the default. And then individuals have to go and file a claim uh, for return of property. And, you know, the requirements for those claims are very specific. They must be sworn under penalty of perjury. They have to be filed within a certain amount of time. And, and so what you've got is this very complex, you know, federal civil legal system that people are forced to navigate. Um, and because there are no criminal charges, they're not entitled to an attorney. People are left with the choice of navigating this labyrinth by themselves or spending thousands of dollars that they clearly don't have because it was just seized (laughs) to hire an attorney to help them out. And so quite often, people rationally decide to just cut their losses um, and walk away. And so that's when, you know, administrative forfeitures happen. So are some of, you know, some of the people who have had their property forfeited administratively criminals? I'm sure there are. But that just can't be the general assumption for all of these people. And we have, you know, evidence to suggest that it's not the case. Just to wrap up, your your bottom line here is Congress needs to step in and fix civil forfeiture laws. What specifically would you have them do? Um, well, specifically, ideally, we would have them eliminate civil forfeiture and only allow the forfeiture of property um, in conjunction with a criminal prosecution. That would ensure that property owners have due process rights like the right to an attorney and the right to a hearing in front of a judge and the right to be found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt before their property is forfeited. But short of that, Congress can eliminate administrative forfeiture um, so that the default rule isn't just we get to keep it unless you prove your own innocence. Um, you know, the, the standard should be you are innocent until proven guilty and the government needs to affirmatively prove that in court before they can take your property. Um, so requiring that will cut down on the number of forfeitures because they won't just be automatically keeping stuff. Um, so that would be a good one. And it would, again, ensure more due process for property owners. And the other thing is Congress can eliminate the profit incentive. So rather than allowing forfeiture proceeds to be retained and spent by law enforcement agencies, that money should go into the general fund um, so that it is used to fund all kinds of government things, but isn't a essentially a slush fund for law enforcement. Jennifer McDonald is a senior research associate at the Institute for Justice, speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. We'll post a link to the Institute's full report and this interview 
at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to The Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.